listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 345. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we discuss season two, episode six of the YouTube science fiction series, Impulse. But we are not actually together, so we don't want you to get that idea. <laughs> we uh, we, we uh, have been practicing social distancing on this podcast pretty much from the start. So Yeah, and, and you know, I, we make light a little bit. We, we obviously both understand how serious this situation is for the world, and, you know, uh, we're going to be here for you guys. And, uh, you know, unlike the professional sports leagues, and, and we understand they had to do what they had to do, oh, yeah. but... But I was saying to my wife earlier, it's no point in getting up and reading the sports page anymore. There's nothing on it. Well, uh, the Ravens have been making some deals. Oh, they did. That's true. You're did, right. Did you see they trade Hayden Hurst? I did see that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm okay with that deal. Yeah, but, we, uh, we're pretty, pretty uh, heavy at tight end. So. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, some serious situations, and you know, Fred's got a little bit in his feedback about it, and and obviously, you and I have been conversing with Fred on Facebook a little bit about you know his job and and what it entails related to the virus, and and you know, I mentioned to him in a in a message that he was on the front line of you know what's going on here, and and he corrected me a little bit that that certainly people that he works with are more on the front line so to speak but yeah fred fred's right there too so uh yep. and, and it's and it's great to get the perspective of what's going on in the netherlands and and you know certainly the surrounding countries that that he knows about so uh we'll, we'll let fred fill you in on that a little bit later well it's certainly because uh, i mean he's told us how like how populous the netherlands are and you know how you know how many people are in you know the relatively tiny space there so this is one of those times when that just kind of sucks yeah absolutely and makes you want to live out in wyoming or south dakota or you know, one of those states right. that are not very densely popular probably not but, super worried about the coronavirus they are probably not but uh all right let, let's touch on a little bit of news and, and of course the big news this week if you've been following the facebook group is yeah. that impulse has been canceled there will be no season three Showrunner Lauren LaFranc wrote that she tried shopping it to other services, but apparently had no takers, which I don't understand because A, it's a great show. B, there's no high acting salaries that that I can see. There are really no special effects other than when they travel, and that's not a big deal. I think you mentioned that a few weeks back. So I just don't understand that nobody would want to pick it up i mean it just seems perfect for netflix but there it is so uh, unfortunately this will be it when we get to the end of season two on the podcast Uh, a number of series have ceased production in reaction to the coronavirus dark though it's my understanding they finished filming months ago but of course we have to wonder whether the post-production is still in play, has it progressed enough that they'll still be able to release on time? You know, we'll keep you guys posted, but so far, uh, dark dark has been dark. Yeah. So. yeah. We'll see. I mean, you know, just like with everything now, it's like this wait and see, right? We just don't know. Um, you know, our the schools have classes in the public schools have been canceled for the next two weeks but uh obviously that could change very quickly and things are changing on a almost an hourly basis around here it's it's crazy yes all right in our tip of the week what we're watching i'm gonna let you go first because i have a little mini rant that's more tip of the week but what do you got okay um well, I'm going to go with one of the things I could have talked about last week, which was Altered Carbon Season 2. Uh, that I finally wa- I watched that, and it was pretty good. I can't say that I liked it more than Season 1. I couldn't quite put my, my finger on it, and it's no, not because the, the you know, Takeshi Kovacs, you know, went from being a white guy to a man of color. Like, that's not it. I th- I think, you know, I was actually kind of like reading around, trying to put my finger on it. And I think I came up with like the first one, 
is so visually rich and like this world building that they did and all these incredible sets that they have and you know all these different places that he goes and season two he doesn't really go anywhere um and and uh and i think that was a big part of it and then i started thinking about further i'm like well you know what what you know about the character of takeshi is that like in season one he had no hope he was just ripped out of his sleeve after 300 years not by his own choice all he he thought that basically everyone he knew and loved was dead and so he really played it with a heavy sense of of gravitas in season two that's not the case he has hope he knows that uh, uh, Cal Chris Falconer is out there somewhere. So he's got purpose and, and hope and optimism. And not that I don't like those things, but it just seemed like the character, he was just so much like more uh, darker and nihilistic in season one that, uh, yeah. So anyway. Well, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I, I loved season one, as did you. And I've started watching season two and I'm watching the second episode and I'm about halfway through it. And the thought that occurred to me is that, you know, maybe we have too much science fiction at our disposal because this is really not doing it for me. And after I finished the episode, what I really came to the conclusion is that no, it had nothing to do with the fact that they changed actors, although I think that's a huge mistake. That said, Anthony Mackie is wonderful. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. And, and of course, uh, the actress that plays uh, Kelchrist, uh, Renee Goldsberry, she's wonderful. The writing is just not that good. And it just seemed to me like I'm watching something that is so unoriginal. Season one, just the opposite, highly right. original. Right. And like you said, the visual aspect was amazing, but it was in conjunction with a really interesting storyline. And I just don't feel that in season two. Now, so, well, that, have you only made it to the second episode? I have. Okay. Because in, in the defense of the writers, there is something that happens about halfway through that really makes it pretty compelling story. Okay. Um, you know, so I mean like it is it is worth getting through the whole thing. I think it, it it all in all it turned out to be really good and the the final episode was really outstanding, I think. But uh I but I agree with what you said mostly. I, I, not that it, it really took me like some intellectualizing to try and figure out what do I not like? It can't be Anthony Mackie. No, absolutely Because he's a great actor and I love him in everything he does. Like in um, Black Mirror, he was great. Uh, Obviously the Avengers movies, he's awesome. Like I said, it's not the actors at all. And they brought back the guy who played Poe and he he was once again, you know, killed it. But, uh, you know, it, it was just like, yeah, it's just like kind of like this combination of things. I think, you know, Anthony Mackie, like I said, was forced to play a more boring version of Takeshi Kovach. Like one who is not as, he's not struggling internally like he was in season one. Because a lot of the stuff he was struggling with, well, namely the, the loss of Kelchris. And he thinks that she's dead. So that is just... You know, that that just makes him this, you know, very moody person. Um, but now she's she's out there. And, right. and so now he becomes a more traditional action hero and becomes not even like the most interesting character, I think. There's another character that, like I said, that with the introduction of this new character about halfway through, he really becomes a much more compelling character than uh than the uh the current Takeshi Kovach you know, yeah. models. So. Well well you said traditional and I guess that's what it is for me that it there's just nothing new at, le- at least that I feel 
about what I'm seeing so far in season two. And maybe that'll change, as you you said. I, I guess we'll see. But I'm just not into action heroes. I'm not into action movies. Uh, not that I don't want some action, but uh, I want a more cerebral approach. Right. I mean, and, and obviously I may be in the minority, but anyway, there it is. All right, well... Let me hit you guys with my tip of the week, and it has nothing to do with genre television, and that is to follow the social distancing advice that your experts are giving you. My God. Okay. Did you read the article? We get this news, and what happens over the weekend? The bars in Baltimore are packed (laughs) silly. Yeah. Are you people freaking listening? Okay. Clearly, no. Clearly not. So today, and again, I I find like I have to preface this and I've probably done it with you before. I don't have kids. So some of you might be saying, well, you don't have kids, so you don't know. They've made it clear. Kids are carriers. Kids aren't going to get sick, but they're going to transmit it. Your kids have to have social distancing as well. So what's going on in my neighborhood? basketball games on the driveways kids riding bikes and they're doing are you kidding me yeah yeah i i I, i've got like two minds of that because obviously you're absolutely right um that in order to slow down the spread of it we just got to kind of stay away from each other for a little bit on the other hand when you've got a you know kids in the house and, and like we were i mean i don't know if you saw it today i mean you know, we uh, we painted a bathroom today to try to keep uh, two, our two girls, you know, occupied. Uh, my oldest is home from college, but he needs money, so he got a job. So he's actually been working the last couple of days. And, uh, you know, my younger, my two sons, is actually, he's, we kind of think he's he's got this band of like three other kids they hang around all the time. I'm just like, you know, if... If one of them has it, they all have it, and it's you know they're not going out and doing anything. They're just you know hanging out with each other. But you know it's tough. It's tough keeping, especially teenagers, especially teenagers with with cars in in the house. You know. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see. All right, rant over. Uh, so <laughs> let's get to impulse, and this was a good one. Uh, episode six of season two, titled Seven of Hearts. Written by Jamie King, directed by Julian Holmes. And, you know, Fred mentions in his feedback, and, you know, we'll get to this in a few minutes. Uh, I guess one of the big questions here has to do with these dreams that Henry's experiencing. Are they dreams? Are they partial dreams? Uh, You know, so we'll get to that in a second. But, dude, again, I'm going to start us off with Lucas and the Mennonites and... I'm really struggling to find meaning here, which I guess is ironic since that's sort of what Lucas is struggling <laughs> right, to find. Right. Um, yeah, it, it, it really smacks of a storyline that they set up before, and then we're like, well, what do we do with this? And like, no, nah, I don't know. You know, because, um, you know, like I thought, okay, like he's going to get the girl to plant uh, the fentanyl on. And by the way, how does she take one look at it and say, that's fentanyl? Well, I guess because the community has been producing it, and I guess it's no secret. Yeah, I guess so. All right, good point. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it, not great. There's still, I would say, if you're, you know, you're looking, you got a band and you're looking for a name. Absolutely. You could do worse than Lucas and the Mennonites, man. Yep. You know? But yeah. uh, I guess you know, Lucas is actually a pretty compelling character, has become one in this show. And his personal struggle, and like we said, his, his struggle for, for meaning in this world, like he refuses to you know, plant the fentanyl because his heart is telling him it's wrong. So, And he understands that Esther is you know, kind of using him the same way that his dad did. Um, so, you know, it is a, a, a fairly interesting um, story arc, but but doesn't really do anything, I don't think, really for the, the show as a whole at this point. Right. I mean, it does parallel some of the things that are, are going on with other 
characters and their parents. But as you said, and it's fascinating to watch him with Suzanne. And that was a great scene when, uh, what the heck was he asking? He was mentioning something and she pretended she didn't know what it was. And he was like, oh, you don't. Oh, and then baking she started, powder. I ba- think. Oh, right, right, right. And so, you know, that was that was fun. But that, the one line, though, that does stand out is when she offers to wash his feet and, of course, mentions that Jesus washed his disciples' feet to honor them. And, and again, I think we're all trying to figure out what has he done to deserve to be honored but that line, the burden of sin often falls upon the woman, which, you know, in this context relates to Susanna, whose father has caught her kissing Lucas and drags her out and throws her to the ground, forces her to repent. And it, that, that whole thing, though, with Lucas and Susanna, tell me what to do regarding the fentanyl and whether or not he's going to plant it. So, as you said, it's 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 an interesting storyline on one level. It's just not clear how it's all going to tie together. And maybe the writers are like, "Ah, oh, we're going to get to that in season three, yeah, season, season four at the right, latest." Right, right, um, so. Yeah, we're looking like really long arc on this one. Yeah, it could be because well, now you know Lucas is going to strike out on his own, so that's going to you know that's a whole nother story again and. You know, it, it might just be that they just need to bring Lucas back into this story. So, but like, what do you do with them? You know, what do you do with the Boone family? The big bad was Bill, and he's done, right? Right, right. So, what do you do with the like Clay? We barely seen him at all, right? Right. I mean, I, I guess the only thing we can say about Lucas and Clay is that they witnessed what it is Henry can do. They don't understand it though clay understands it a little bit more than lucas i think right well because yeah clay actually experienced it but but you know then again like it's like the writers you just kind of see them painting themselves in the corner here because they're like well clay could tell people what he saw but they're just gonna think he's crazy just like everyone thought anna is crazy and that's why she doesn't have a job right now so how do we make that happen right do we expose henry does she at some point is gets caught on television jumping and then all of a sudden clay becomes some celebrity because you know he knew it all the time you know it's just you know where are we going I, you know if if they kept bill in play as the baddie then the those other characters would still be relevant but right. without Bill Boone in the story, their relevance kind of, you know, dissipates a little bit. Yeah. Well, we came up with a name for a band. Right. So it's only proper that we also come up with a name for a women's fragrance and a Halche's obsession. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe that one's taken, Dave. Is it? Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, again, one of these characters that. I like her. She's got a certain compelling feature to her, but you're not a cop anymore. And, and in fact, we get that that one scene where I think it's uh, uh, Henry tells her, "You're delusional. Stay away, or I'll call the real cops on yeah, you." Ouch. Which I thought was which which was <laughs> classic. But that meeting between Anna and Cleo was really fascinating and she suggests that something more complicated is at play so you think henry's lying to me <laughs> uh let's see she's a teenager yeah, um, mother yes yeah <laughs> yes most definitely right yeah um hannah it's just i mean we we get it um if what had happened to her happened to us we would probably be pretty adamant about like well, she's not even trying to prove that she's sane. She's just trying to get to the bottom of this thing that she doesn't even know what this thing is. She's trying to get to the bottom of, and she just, but you know, she's just as willing to burn any bridge and, and to you know sacrifice any relationship in order to 
quote unquote, get at the truth. Oh, right. But then we also have, you know, hovering in the background, what happened to her with that young man that died when she was a police officer back in the city. So, and the fact that she still sees him, hasn't seen him in a while, but, but did see him on at least two occasions. So she's grappling with these real details on the one hand, but you know, we've seen this other side of her. And then, like you said, she's willing to do anything. She breaks into Nikolai's motel room. Yeah. Plants a recording device. She's staking out his motel room. So I guess, although it doesn't really come out overtly, she sees him come out of the room, but did she see him enter? We assume no, because we assume he probably teleported to his room. Right. But don't know that for sure. No, don't. Well, and the the fact that he allows himself to be recorded shows, uh, you know, like, I feel like Nikolai is, like, that wouldn't happen to him. Like, you just assume that he would have some kind of setup or something that to just do a check for recording devices or something. Just, you know, we've seen this guy as certainly very professional at what he does. And to slip up like that seems out of character. Yeah, it does. I guess I explain that away by saying that what it is he's tracking, this young girl who can teleport, is so unbelievable. It's so rare that there really can't be anybody around here that really knows what's going on other than... Uh, Jenna and Towns, yeah, I, but, I suppose, but at this he point. he disappeared in front. Like, I mean, I, I now I, I obviously we see why he did what he did to take Anna out of the picture, right? Like, she sure. goes telling, yes, I, uh, I, I, I saw a guy on the side of the road. He disappeared, and then my car started driving at me, and I shot at it. And then when the car crashed, there was no one in it. Like. You know, that story is completely mental. And so, obviously, Nicholas set that all up to, so that Anna would go in front of the review board and would, you know, be taken out of the picture as a cop. Thing is, she's not out of the picture. You know, he's he's got to – you think, again, someone who's working with any kind of professionalism would, like, check up on that loose end that, okay, yes, she's not a police officer anymore, but she seems to be doing a lot of snooping around still. So yeah. How how long will Anna Halche remain in play then? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, uh, and, and you know, there, there's got to there's so, there's <laughs> one of two things, I guess. Either you know she gets killed, or she gets vindicated. Sure. Well, I mean, she plays the tape for Henry. And it's, of course, Nikolai talking. We don't hear the other half of the conversation, I don't think. We assume it's probably his sister he's talking to. Right. He seems to imply that he took care of Sam and needs a cleanup crew. But now I'm not sure whether he's talking about having taken care of Sam or, you know, something else. But obviously, Halche's pieced a lot together. And then... Henry tells her she's delusional. And now the question is, is Henry going to go to Nikolai and say, dude, she recorded you talking to somebody. So what are we going to do about it? And, you know, again, it's one of those hard truths that, that Henry's going to have to face as the, as her journey continues. That's for sure. Right. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Are we are we going to go on and talk about Nikolai? Because I mean, like he handles that when confronted with it. You know, like she's just like, "Tell me what's going on. Tell me the truth." And he does in a very as in a pretty dramatic way. But I guess the the way that is the most honest and you know jarring. You know, it's almost like a scared straight moment. Like well, well it is, and it's it's such an intense scene. I mean, it, it gives me goosebumps to even think about it. it. You know, when she confronts him in his motel room about his having killed Sam and and at first we wonder whether he's gonna lie to her about it, but no, you need to know exactly what you're in the middle of. And 
And she even implies that if he kills her, at least this would all be over. And right. we talked and we talked last week about what was the deal about her riding her bike right for that oncoming tractor trailer and questioning whether the thought of suicide you know is in her mind even though her body probably wouldn't let the truck truck hit her but uh you know so much comes out in that scene and and he says look i solved a problem you created which is true on the other hand i know i say this probably i wish i had a dollar every time i say this she's 16 I don't we don't know how much time has elapsed. I still think we're talking probably weeks rather than months. Yeah, that. she's still dressed warm. Well, I know she goes outside the pizza joint in like a t-shirt, right? Yeah. So, that's probably not winter in upstate New York anymore. <laughs> well, well that that's probably true. Now, all of a sudden they teleport to her room and and at first, it's not clear who initiates it. She realizes that he brought them, but it only looks like her bedroom. And of course, it only takes us a second to realize where it is he's taken her. And, you know, she starts tearing so, down the... Uh, so I, I actually had a question at this point, because did she see the tape of of Dominic where they... You know, they saw Dominic in, a, and he mentions how the room is just like his own room. Well, I thought they all saw. Yeah, that's I mean, what I did too. So that's what, like, but she doesn't seem like she's processing this very quickly. You know, like if she's already seen it, she'd be like, "Oh, dude, this is just like Dominic, right?" But she doesn't kind of have. Doesn't seem like she has that moment. Of course, she could be, you know, playing it close to the vest because she doesn't want to give up too much to to nikolai well but she does start ripping things off the wall like the fake window and and, you know things like that so is that you know indicative that she does realize what it is he's showing not sure but he tells her i want to show you what these people are capable of sam wanted to expose my employers by doing that he would have exposed you too and then he says, just go back to your life and I'll make sure the people who built this room never come near her again. And obviously the fundamental question for Henry is, why should I trust you? And you know, we get that little exchange where he says, what have I done other than to show you that I am in your corner? Yeah, he's got a good point there. Well, he does. And, and you know, he, he starts telling bits about his family, his sister taking him in. It's complicated, but I have a plan. And then at the very end, he just looks at her and it's just classic. So are we good? And it takes Henry a second. I, again, you, you know, you said a second ago, it's a lot for her to process in this one scene, but it's so critical and it's such a great scene. I mean, I mean, there's things that go on in this episode, you know, namely the stuff we talked about just now about Lucas that... Yeah, you know, that's kind of a, a a downside of the episode, but but this scene in particular is, is just so good. So, I mean, let, let's go ahead and back up a little bit though and and talk about Henry's continued awakening and that opening scene where we see Nikolai is in Norway apparently to carry out a hit on a traveler but the person teleports away in the nick of time but he finds that real estate flyer for a home for sale in reston new york and and of course we can put two and two together and then uh you know michael r is going to kill me because i i can't remember the actress's name (laughs) the female teleporter i just said the lady from the expanse yeah (laughs) her name is fatima in in the episode we only see her briefly but she teleports into a room in which henry's father is quickly packing they know each other committed to helping each other both recognize henry's a target but here's my question is this a flashback or is he still alive is this the present well i I think it's got to be the present right because he's got he you know, he takes the flyer from the boat and brings it back and shows Henry. Yes, Nikolai is in the present, 
but Fatima and her father. Oh. Is yeah. that in the present? Right, 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 right. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that I don't know. Right. So, you know, in terms of plot details, I, I love, you know, the fact that we, we still aren't sure, you know, again, Fred alludes to the confusion surrounding Henry's dreams. And, and certainly we don't really know whether this is a flashback because the fact that they recognize Henry's a target doesn't necessarily mean that they're aware of what's going on for her as a 16 year old. She could have been a target at age eight or 10 or whatever. So right. uh, the title of the episode is seven of hearts and, and very often the title doesn't really, I, I think have the impact it does as it, you know, like we see here in this episode, Henry's going through the box of her mother's stuff, pulls out the Nirvana t-shirt again. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. It's a great t-shirt. Very cool. She finds the playing cards, but it's the brochure for Cedar Creek that sparks a connection that this is where she's been traveling and seeing her dad. And one of the things I wonder, does her dad leave that in the box deliberately as a clue that someday she will find this? That said, there was no indication when he left that his daughter had the gene right so on the you know looking at it from that perspective why would he but he could have just zapped into the attic where the box was put it in there and zapped out too right but But that seems uh, not likely (laughs) yeah probably not likely And and then we get another great scene that henry has learned we see her gearing up puts her coat on gets her hat i don't know if she's got gloves or not puts the playing card in her pocket. And, and this is that card. And we learn, you know, throughout the course of the episode, the significance of that card. And it's that they couldn't find the seven of hearts. So the father takes the joker and, and a marker and makes his own seven of hearts. So, you know, we're, we, we always know that that's the card. And of course we've done enough time travel podcasts to know, well, could yeah. there be more there than be one more of than the one same card? card. Right. Could it be in two different timelines? But, uh, you know, we do, we do know it's significant. But she's preparing to jump, finds herself in the woods. Does she just will herself there? It, it, or is she at the point where her subconscious just takes over? Well, I, I think she, because she's, she's got the card, she looks at the brochure before she closes her eyes. So I think she's kind of finding ways to gain some measure of control. She clearly wanted to go to Cedar Creek in her dreams. Of course, okay. it's her dreams still. Like, Or I get, I mean, you know, that's why it's so goofy because like, yeah, it's a dream and there's, this very dream state qualities. She sees herself as a young child. Her dad talks to her, but as she's a child and then talks to the other child. So there's definitely, you know, some things going on here that do not happen in, in the real world. Uh, but then of course, you know, she gets back and she's still holding the rung of the ladder that she fell from. So, you know, there, there, there is this clearly, physical element of where she is and again it's you know like we're just like what the hell i don't know well it's like she dreams about the past but physically teleports in the present so like you said she finds herself in the woods her father's cooking on a fire there's a tent set up it's not clear at first whether it's a dream or whether again i mentioned this before or whether she time traveled but i I think acknowledges that it is a dream and and look and and again as everybody knows your dreams are made up of of fears hopes dreams I guess that's why they call them dreams (laughs) Uh, you mentioned her younger self talking to her in fact tells her to wake up and then she finds herself in an open area and we're back to the mud again she finds that tube sock and then walks towards that isolated house. And and that's to what you're referring. So she's gone to a totally different place. What got her 
to that point, like you said, she looks at the brochure, she's got the card, so so it's like she's she's visualizing where she wants to go. And I guess her her memory of that incident camping with her parents. And it was cool what they did with Cleo, where Cleo was just sort of suspended there for a brief time before actually becoming uh, active in the scene. I, I don't know. I As much as I'd like to say time travel's involved, I think that's uh, not actually what's going on here. But she gets in that house. I guess we're supposed to make the connection that this is her father's house or one of his safe houses along the way. And, you know, you mentioned she climbs the wooden steps and sees the solitary mattress on the floor. There's a candle step breaks and, you know, she finds herself back in her bedroom. And, and uh, I guess on the one hand, the irony is if this is in fact her father's house that, that she ended up there in, in her, father's bedroom and or almost (laughs) before the step breaks but you know we don't have any real indicators that this is somehow truly connected to her father unless i miss something you know i mean we're just making right well i I think it's basically she's just if i'm here it must have something to do with my dad because that's kind of you know basically where she's been tracking these dreams from the you know the first one she had is just they've all her dreams of that we've seen i guess i should say have related to the search for simon right right now we'll talk a little bit more about jenna and thomas and cleo you know at, at the end but a- along with henry's story jenna is on her phone and we see her liking a photo of kate i think that's what she was doing i'm not big on social media other than- <laughs> i'm not yeah positive but she was definitely ch- i i was wondering whether i should take the chance and try to guess which one it was i think it might have been instagram but i'm not 100 percent sure okay so one of those social mediums so she likes it and it, it was so cute because as soon as she likes it it's almost like she she kind of backed away from her phone a little bit like ooh. uh and then of course right on cue zach texts her about dinner right Henry Burson and of Perfect course metaphor for her conflict. Right. It's all about Henry. Uh, you know, I woke from the dream. I found myself somewhere else. And, you know, I, again, we're figuring this out as she is, her mind takes her one place, her body takes her to another, but I found my father and, and I was just so glad to see Jenna's reaction because, you know, whereas we were saying a few minutes ago about how Lucas and the Mennonites connects to anything, it's easy to see how Thomas and Cleo will eventually fit into the equation. And of course, Jenna's already involved, but she says, these things that are happening, they're not just happening to you. And again, we've talked many times that Henry is just so self-absorbed and on the one level we get it, but it's almost like Henry's oblivious. Oh yeah, fine. Okay. But we need to find towns. Yeah, you need to give me a ride to towns, actually. Right, so it's like, right. And, and it's like, dude, towns had a meltdown because of you. Yeah. Okay, but uh, can we leave now? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it, it, this, this really, uh, you know, and we, we see, you know, again, I'm, I, I've spoken with this, about this at length, so I'm just going to say, that, you know, like her, you know, teenage angsty behavior you know for a couple episodes now then now oh wait she needs something so oh now i'm gonna go to my good buddy jenna who actually the last time a couple times we talked to her i kind of shit all over her you know yeah um you know i mean on the one hand it is understandable but at this point no it's not anymore now the fact that sam has made physical contact is pretty monumental. So the the fact that Henry has now learned that is pretty big. But then Jenna tells Henry, Sam told them about Nikolai killing Dominic. That's not exactly true, right? I mean, he killed himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Nikolai. Yeah, I know, I know. You know uh, Played a role. Brought about the events that led to that. But yeah, technically, that's not true. Right. So as generally happens, Henry wins out. We find them at Town's house. 
Town's mother. There we go. Town's mother yep, uh, opens the door again. She's definitely a thing. Uh, he's not home. Uh, can we snoop around his room while he's <laughs> at his therapist trying to recover from this meltdown that I caused? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah no problem. Uh, trying to guess his password. I, you know, it's wrong on so many levels, and I think Jenna even points that out. But the fact that she's trying to guess Town's password, I mean, come on. <laughs> this is Town's. Now, I do like it. What's that thing called over there? Uh, millennial, Millennium Falcon, right? Well, so. Except it was <laughs> the Enterprise, right? Yeah, right. But that, but that's what Jenna said, right? Right. right. Well, yeah. You know, it's just you know, two kids who you know, no, with zero experience of, sadly, no yes. Star Wars or Star Trek experience. That right. she looks at the model of the USS Enterprise and says she thinks it's the Millennium Falcon. Now, what would have been awesome if she had said? You know, I think that's Serenity. Nice. But alas, no. Yeah. Uh, so as she's trying to figure out the password, which, again, we I think we know at the time, there's no darn way she's going to figure it out. The hacker comes on the screen, knows he's talking to Henry, and she agrees to meet him and, you know, get him off the grid in return for info about her father. And then again, you know, we we're talking about Nikolai before. So, so the, this is a a sequence that leads up to that conversation we already talked about. He lets her know that the people who found her mess in Sri Lanka have tracked her to another safe house. And and again, just the fact that he's trying to impress upon her how dangerous these people really are. Now she doesn't tell him about Sam. And again, is that, do we consider that a lie? You know, as he says, you've got to tell me the truth, tell me everything or I can't protect you. So yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Maybe kind of by omission a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, but, I um, but yeah, I mean like, you know, there's obviously, you know, we thought that, that Sam was a part of another organization, but you know, does, doesn't really seem like he just seems like he was on his own so that you know led to a kind of a dead end but you know Nikolai tells her there's like there's other people out there looking for you not just him not just yeah. his organization there's others you know, is this what Fatima is you know operating is she part of them but it doesn't really seem like it because she's also seems to be someone's like you know no I'm not going to help you Simon like you know just stay alive right but there, yeah, there is it seems like this you know this other another shadowy organization out there that uh, we just haven't even seen them yet really or maybe we have just well realized or, or is fatima just another teleporter like simon just trying to stay one step ahead of nikolai's sister's organization i mean we know she's down a traveler and we're never really sure how many are actually out there. Uh, you know, we know Keegan, Michael Key's character is no longer in play. Right. And, you know, Henry seems to be the focus. Certainly that's who his sister is after. So perhaps we'll get more clarity on whether or not that scene was in the present or as I said earlier, whether it was a flashback, because it's still really not clear at this point, but you know, we get that final sequence. Henry's back home and he, she finds her mother waiting at the table. And again, sitting in the dark, you know, there's so many of these scenes where people are sitting in the dark and okay, I get trying to conserve electricity, but, and I won't even mention it as a metaphor for, you know, what Henry's mother's going through. See, I didn't mention it. Right. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and then her mother apologizes she's just trying to be a good mom. We've talked about Cleo's uh, transition as a mother and, and maybe even transformation at this point. She does seem to be, you know, a, a better person, a better mother. And a lot of it, I think is owed to Thomas and, and the relationship they have. And, and even Henry talking to Jenna in, in the episode that, my mother has always been the one to tell me where we're going, who we're going to live with. And, 
And I mean, Henry's not really one to come out and say, you know, I really like you guys. I, I like living with you. She kind of does it in her own way. But her mother is basically telling her, I'm here for you. I'm your mother. I'm, I'm as stable as I've ever been. Even you have to admit that. And Henry just walks by, no hug, straight to her room. And I guess we could say once we see what she does in her room, maybe she was so focused on that act that she couldn't find the time to hug her poor mother, but I guess. Uh, well, uh, you know, actually that, that scene kind of struck a chord, you know, because I'm like, that, that's kind of a little dead on sometimes, you know, like sometimes kids are just like that. As a parent, all you can say is, you know, I'm here for you, you know, like, I know you're not going to talk to me. You're not going to tell me what's going on. If you need to, I'm here, you know? And yeah. A lot of times uh, that's just kind of like the best you can do. Yeah. And, you know, once Henry gets in her room, she's got the playing card and whether she sees or we see that she, this is what she's thinking about again, not clear, but her younger self playing pirate with her father. And, and of course we see the, the wooden sword that we've seen on multiple occasions. She teleports back to the mud field, the remote house, and she leaves that homemade seven of hearts on the table, presumably for her father to find. And of course we don't know for sure whether he's alive or not. So I guess we shall see, but yeah, I mean, you know, pretty sure he's alive though. You know, like this is all kind of suck. If at the end of it, she gets to it. Oh yeah. He died a couple of years ago. Uh, what are you going to do? I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, but just real briefly about Cleo and, and Thomas, I mean, Cleo, we see her she's looking around the dining room because after her conversation with Anna, it's almost, she's looking for evidence of blood and and of course it's all been cleaned up not only by anna but by nikolai's cleanup crew so not really sure exactly what she expects to find but you know i do i do find it interesting for sure um yeah well yeah i mean this just kind of gets back to you know you found some of bill's blood or well, a cleo's like well i was a little too busy being shot <laughs> yeah you know to really notice if bill had bled anywhere but it's just also like you know because you found some of bill's blood there a that it doesn't say anything about when that was there or you know it's it, it's a a small tiny piece of evidence that to back up absolutely nothing Right, and Cleo has said certain things that are clearly evidence that she has nothing to do with this, nor Bill. She even says, I know people thought we were sleeping together. Ooh. And, and of course, we know that's true, and, and it just comes across as so believable. So if I, Anna I think if I were the actor playing Bill, I'd be a little hurt by that line. Well, maybe. You know? But, uh, he has some nice that, sideburns, man. Yeah, good point. But uh, but then she goes to see Clay, and she wants to confront him about what he had done to her daughter. And, and of course, Clay's mom intercepts her, and she's ready to just turn her away until she finds out who she is. And I was a little surprised that when she did find out that this is Henry's mom, oh, come on in. Yeah. But she had no idea that Clay assaulted Henry. Did you find it? Interesting that she immediately believes Cleo. Uh, well, yeah, and but not inconsistent because we know that you know she's not really that big on her kids, right? Like, I mean, we saw that with Lucas before, you know. Yeah, so the the fact that she immediately you know believes it, and I mean, shows a you know that. You know, most moms, especially nowadays, would, you know, be of the, well, my kid would never do that. But she has no idea what her kid would do. She's had very little contact with him for a long time. And um, and what contact she has, I guess she believes her kid would do that. Yeah. And then she says, well, I'll make him repent for his sins. 
And Cleo's looking at her like, nah, I don't think that's going to be quite enough. But I guess for me, what comes out of the scene is that Cleo doesn't really know what to do, nor does Clay's mother. And these are just two mothers of teenagers, both of them in turmoil. All four of them are in turmoil and neither mother knows really what to do. And, you know, they leave, uh, Cleo leaves and she's no better off than when she came there. I guess maybe she got it off her chest a little bit, but. Right. Well, but, but you know, what, what we do learn is Clay's mom says, you know, well, what does Henry want? And Cleo's like, I, I don't know. And she says that, I don't know. Like, you yeah. know, so like, you're right. She goes in there, guns blazing, but she really doesn't have, I guess she, she was expecting confrontation. She wasn't expecting her to say, well, what do you, what would you, what do you want me to do? What does Henry want us to do? We'll do it. And she's, then Cleo submit. I don't know what she well, wants. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Right. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. So, uh, I, and then the last thing, uh, Thomas breaks the news to Henry and Jenna that he plans to marry Cleo. And, and again, it's a, it's a nice scene that gets ruined, I think, by Jenna's behavior. I mean, I get that had her mother died maybe a year before, maybe that's too soon, but it's been three years. And what are you trying to do? Erase mom? And, and poor Thomas, it's like, no, why would I do that? There's been no indication I'm trying to erase your mother. And there's been no indication that Cleo wants to supplant her mother. Right. So it just seemed really selfish on her part yeah. that her father has a chance to be happy. And Yeah, and again, I, I invite the writers of Impulse to spend some time with some actual teenagers every once in a while so that you will understand how they actually behave. Um but, but yeah, it, there's actually because of the line much later in the episode where Jen is like, um, you know, so one of us has, one of us always has to be an asshole. And like, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess apparently, yeah, because for a couple episodes now it's been Henry and now she's not acting like that anymore. Jen has picked up the mantle to be the unreasonably, you know, moody teenager. And uh, um, so, so yeah, you know, like, it, it's like, like the writers are sitting there saying, "Okay, well, we've got all these teenagers. Someone's got to be acting like a total jerk off. So, uh, what teenager's going to do it this week? You know? Well, you realize what you just did, right? No. Now you got you can't use that line at the end of the podcast, right? Oh, oh I got plenty. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else you want to bring up before we listen to Fred's feedback? Oh, well, just uh, the the one thing that uh, Nikolai tells Henry that, you know, don't follow your own agenda. Don't make outside deals or his plan, as he says, all goes to shit. You know, so he is, again, we're wondering, is he trying to help her? It appears that he actually is trying to help her. But, you know, he, she can't do any outside. Well, of course she is because she's trying to find her dad. Then she does find her dad. Well, of course, she's going to do a quote-unquote outside deal with him. So the likelihood of Nikolai's plan going to shit, I feel, is high. Sounds good or bad, depending on your perspective. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear what Fred's got for us this week, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Impulse Season 2, Episode 6. First off, I want to come back to last week's podcast as usual. Actually, this reacting to the podcast of last week really feels like an old-fashioned correspondence with letters. So you send a letter to somebody and you get a week later a response by another letter. And when I traveled through India and other countries, it even took a month or something like that to get an answer on your question. I think for the modern people, it's uh, almost unimaginable that you communicate like this. And although this modern time, podcasting and saying things to each other with a weak difference gives very much the feeling of that. 
Actually, I should be preparing to go to Amsterdam instead of recording this audio feedback. Because I had a William Shatner theater show in Amsterdam. So watching the film Wrath of Khan and then afterwards have a Q&A with William Shatner. But of course of the coronavirus, this all was cancelled. But it was very tricky last week because my employer, being a university hospital, strongly advised their personnel not to go to any meetings with more than 30 people. And I would have gone to that with my 16-year-old son. But he refused to go with his mother. So he said, I go with dad or I don't go at all. So I had two tickets, what to do with it. There were VIP tickets, $180 each. But then, fortunately, our government decided to prohibit any meetings of more than 100 people. So all theater shows and also this show had to be cancelled. So now the show is postponed. It will happen somewhere in the future or I will get my money back. Yeah, it was a very rough week last week. One of the other reasons I really couldn't go to William Shatner with this advice is because I'm one of the members of the crisis team around coronavirus and education. And we had to shut down every lecture and every education in the medical faculty. And just one day later, the whole university did the same. But anyhow... By the time the listeners hear this podcast, everything and the whole world will be different again. Primary, secondary schools probably will be closed, etc. So things change every day very fast. Last week I made a remark about that Towns' autism was a little off-putting for me. But I complimented Daniel Maslany about his acting. And I also said, I know that there are some people that can be like that. Well, I should know, I have one like that in my own house. I mean, my 18-year-old son sometimes can react just as Towns. You said the following. I mean, Towns and what Fred refers to as maybe uh, an over-the-top way he's playing his autistic character that it, that it turns fred off a little bit and i guess that's a difficult judgment to make for i guess for anybody because i mean obviously you and i have taught autistic students but they've been all across Absolutely. the spectrum and then you talk about that you know some children that are like towns but that was not my point actually and I think I am somebody who can judge it, having an own child, sometimes just like it. And from my profession as a geneticist, of course, I see many others. Uh, it was just that they chose an autistic person that is, let's say, so severe. And perhaps it's because I'm confronted with it every day that it was a little off-putting for me. I would have appreciated if they would have taken for the story somebody a little milder that would be less disturbing for me or actually i have to stay distracting for me it becomes its own story too much for me and actually you should say that putting people all over the spectrum in series is actually quite a good thing and giving a lot of respect for people with this kind of disability and especially if they are showing that these people can be very valuable members of society if you just put them in the right spot where they can flourish and of course i hope that will be true for my son as well one day okay about episode six i found it an interesting episode but a little bit the same as some others in the sense of the tension between jenna and henry and resolving that a little bit again the role of Nikolai, is he good, is he bad, plays further on here. Funny is that Henry doesn't trust Nikolai at all when she's talking to him, but on the other hand, she's defending him when she talks to Jenna. Anna Holche still searching for the truth, also kind of same story. Surprising was of course the visit that Cleo made to Clay's mother. What a good liar Henry is. Well, that's also not new. 
as well to Nikolai as to Anna. It's not always active lying, but often denying stuff that is still true. It really starts to look that Nikolai is going against his own family because he shows Henry the experimentation room, as also we saw in the video with Dominic Baptiste. I think he also had a simulated bedroom where he would return to. The whole thing with her father I don't understand yet, because in her dream or half reality she goes to this camping place where her father is calling her Hank. Is this a nickname for Henry? Strange. And then he says, your mother is also here. It looks like Hank is a nickname for Henry by her father. But when he sees her as a friend and Henry is taking that place of that friend, then it's illogical that he says your mother is also here. Whereas young Henry is sitting next to Cleo. You have other ideas? You can explain this? I can't. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, um, you know, the three of us have been conversing on Facebook a little bit about, you know, what Fred's gone through related to the coronavirus at work and, and certainly at home. So, you know, again, it's always interesting to get that other perspective. Now, Fred mentions the uh, William Shatner convention that he was going to, and we I think we talked about this last week. Fred did let us know he did get his money back, right. and they probably will not reschedule, or at least not anytime soon, uh, for sure. But then, you know, Fred clarifies, you know, some of what he was saying last week about towns and how Daniel Mislani uh, portrays the autistic character. And, and again, we don't need to uh, belabor the issue that, that there is a vast spectrum of uh, behavior for uh, individuals that are on this spectrum. And I think we all agree Daniel Mislani does a freaking fantastic yeah. job with this character. Right. I, I definitely wasn't trying to invalidate anything that Fred said at all. I was just saying that that particular scene like was really like present for me. Like, 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 like that, um, just really, it was something that I had experienced before, but as you said, there's, uh, a super wide, uh, spectrum. That's what they call it, the spectrum. So, um, and, and there's a lot of different experiences and, and behaviors to go with that. Right. Now, the last thing I want to bring up from Fred's feedback is his mention of Henry's fluid attitude towards Nikolai. I, I guess how much sense it really makes. At this point, she's got enough experience with Nikolai, and he even says, you need to judge me by my actions, not by who you think I am. Everything I've done has been in your interest. I could have killed you long ago if I wanted to kill you. Right. Of course, that's probably not the worst option. The worst option would be uh, as a guinea pig for his sister's project. Right. Which he shows her, right? And yes, and, right. And he also shows her that he has the means to keep her there as well. But he's like, I'm, I'm, this isn't like, literally he could do that right there. Like right. if he wanted to capture her, bring her to her room and keep her there, he just did it. Right. But that's but, obviously not what he's trying to do. Right. And you know, he's got that little zapper and tells her, just go live your life and let me take care of things. Whether she's going to do that or not is, uh, you know, I think a low probability, but we shall see regardless i i still think it's fascinating to watch their relationship as it as it unfolds and that tenuous trust between the two of them because it is pretty big for both of them obviously henry's life is on the line and to a certain extent nikolai's is as well because i don't think we talked about it in this episode at all we see him inject himself with right. what is it called factor i think is what they oh, yeah, call I think it so, yeah, yeah. so it certainly seems as if his sister is doling out the factor and i guess as long as he does what she needs him to do he'll get it but 
I guess we shall see. Yeah. Fred, thank you for the feedback and stay safe. I know Fred let us know he was in on a crisis meeting today related to his his work. And, and uh, I guess it's the same message to everybody out there. Yeah. Just stay safe. Stay safe. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we will be here for you next week. Yep. So, well, uh, you know, there was just actually one more thing I, I forgot to mention. Just the the song at the end. I didn't look it up. I'm pretty sure it's Modest Mouse playing, and the the lyric as she lays the car down says, "That's how the world will end." So oh, I did notice that. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with the song, but I did notice that line. Yeah. All right, well, that's a good place to leave it, and that'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. I want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Impulse, uh, Dark, which is on the horizon, anything else going on in genre TV. We're all going to have plenty of time to watch genre <laughs> TV. Uh, encourage you to join the Facebook group. If you want to send us an email, the address is sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. You can leave a voicemail on the website using the SpeakPipe tab, which is over on the right-hand side, or just record your own the way Fred does each week. Send it as an attachment. We'll be back next time to discuss Impulse Season 2, Episode 7, titled, appropriately enough, The End of the World. But nice. until then... You know, Dave, nobody can deny that we have experienced a lot of highs and a lot of lows lately. Mostly lows. <laughs> <laughs>